0: where did life begin for you where did you grow up
1: I was born in Salt Lake City and I yeah I grew up there until I was 18 and then I moved away for college
0: a big family small family
1: small family um it was just well it started out with my mom and dad and me and then my sister is three years younger than I am and then I'll just jump right into it yeah um my parents got divorced when I was five and um and then my dad passed away when I was eight so it felt particularly small because there were just the three of us all that time. But we lived in the same house from the time I was five until I was 18. So there was lots of stability in that, which was nice.
0: And did your mom end up remarrying? or
1: No, she didn't date or anything at all.
0: And as you were growing up, what types of things did you take an interest in? Did you kind of gravitate towards certain subjects in school or to certain activities outside of school?
1: Yeah, when I was little, I danced a lot. Um, I was in the dance company at the dance school where I was. But then I decided to stop doing that when I was 12 because I knew that I wanted to focus really on my schooling. Uh, and I wanted to take like the highest level classes that I could. And I I loved all all the subjects um except for history <laughs> that one was particularly just like boring to me up until just even a few years ago now as I've like traveled around and have seen history kind of in action and seen also the I don't know, the depth of history and learning it in school it was all very like boiled down to these very basic ideas when you're especially when you're in elementary school. Um, but now there's so much nuance and and history is all about people's perspectives and it's told differently depending on who you ask.
0: As a kid, were you active in the church? did your did your family attend church and stuff or did that kind of come later in life for you?
1: Yeah, we went to church. My mom's a convert and so some of the like cultural parts of the church were absent in our home because she just wasn't really aware of them. Like we didn't have family home evening. But we went to church, and I got baptized when I was eight, and so did my sister. But I didn't really get super into church until I was in Young Women's. That's uh, when there was a, a kind of a big change.
0: In those Young Women years, were there a particular leader that was influential for you? Or what is it that maybe caused that change to take place at that point?
1: I think it, and when I was in primary, I kind of hid. <laughs> and uh, not... not I don't know, not like in the closets or anything at the church, but um, if, if I was asked to say a prayer or give a talk, I would just pretend I was sick that week. <laughs> um, but once I was in young women's, people were really paying attention to me, and I, and I felt at the same time grateful, but also kind of like on the spot. But through that, like, that love from the, the leaders, I, I felt like I kind of grew into myself. And all of the leaders that we had, like I can name all of them through the years, The presidency changed like three or four times while I was in Young Women's. And our Young Women group started out at 10 when I was, like there were 10 of us when I was 12. But at some point when I was like 15, there were three of us. And it was me and my sister and my friend, Jill. (laughs) And I actually really loved it because um, we had three leaders and three girls and we could travel around in one car. We could go to the temple because it was close. We lived in Salt Lake. We could go get ice cream. You know, it was a very nimble group. But we also then didn't do all of the sorts of activities. It's just a different feel.
0: And I'm guessing you had a really close relationship with your mom and, and your sister. And so when you think about your mom, are there certain key attributes that she has that were particularly influential on in you in those growing up years?
1: Her faith has been kind of an impressive thing to me and her ability to forgive. And her faith was always very, a very quiet faith. Uh, and so that... That has made an impression, but she's not, she's not one to talk about things like that. Uh, actually, if she listened to this. <laughs> she might be kind of like, uh, you're sharing too much information. So <laughs> I won't say more than that. But, um, um, but she was very, like very stalwart, very hardworking. She's from New England and she very much has that mentality of like, you just get it done and you work hard, um, you save up your money. That was a huge impression, like had a huge impression on me too because she made very little money and she was the sole supporter of our family for many years.
0: I mean, you mentioned, particularly as you were in the Young Women's Program and so on, are there, as you think about your early faith development or building a testimony, are there one or two experiences that stand out as particularly meaningful to you from that time period? Or was it more of just a line upon line, you know, kind of gradual process or both?
1: That's a good question. I went to the young women camp, uh, when I was, I don't remember if I was 12 or 13. Uh, but that, that, I remember that being the first place that I really felt the spirit and that made a huge impression on me. And, um, and then I also went to this, uh, I think it was called Brighton camp. It was for, just for beehives, the, the younger girls at that time. And that was tucked away in the mountains. It was really beautiful. And all the counselors were there all summer long. So they were trained specifically to like help encourage the spiritual development of girls that age and they had activities tailored to to us and it was another experience of like having someone who was invested in me for a week and I felt seen and loved and I was able to take that kind of example and think about like oh there are heavenly parents who are feeling this for me too but even though I can't see them I can feel their love through this person.
0: And once you were through the high school years and so on, what came next for you after that?
1: I chose to go to Wellesley College. It was actually the only place I applied. I applied early decision, so I had time to like apply other places if I needed to. I'd chosen that because my a couple of my cousin's wives had gone there, or one of them took me to campus. And she had been pre-med, um, and I was planning to be pre-med too. And so she said, make sure you don't overlook the, like, the small liberal arts colleges. Like, you can go and major in biology wherever, that's also fine, but, like, you can come here and you can do pre-med and you can major in any other subject because of the, the way that the credits are. Like, you don't have to just major in a, uh, in a science. So I went there and I just fell in love with the campus. And my, my mom grew up nearby there, so my grandparents was, were still there and her, and her brothers also still lived in the area. And so that was nice to have that support, even though I didn't have a car and I didn't really see them that often. And they were, they were, they were kind of like, we're here if, we need you, if, we, if you need us, but if, if you don't, then that's fine. Like, we're not going to come insert ourselves in your life. It was just such an amazing experience. I was definitely very homesick that first year, but uh, I think that now I know that, that when I move places, I will feel homesick for a year <laughs> and, and that's okay. It's not bad to feel that.
0: How do the wards and stuff like that work out in the Boston area with students? I know that you know there's a handful of wards in Cambridge, for example, with yeah. the student wards there. But if you're a student at Wellesley, where do you end up going?
1: But we're assigned to that ward too. That's in Cambridge. I feel like it's like a breath, right? Like it breathes. Sometimes there's one ward. Sometimes there are two wards. So when I arrived there, they had just expanded from one undergraduate aged ward to two. So that meant that all of the Boston students were in one ward and then all of the not Boston students so anyone outside of there were in the other ward um, which I was kind of disappointed by because I would meet people and I'd be like oh you're in the other ward I guess I'm never going to find out like who you are <laughs> <laughs> um, and since I didn't have a car it's it really like made a difference where I could go like what access I had to things but I did there was a bus from Mulsey that went into Cambridge and on the weekends, I went into Boston, too, but I mostly took it to Cambridge and then got out there and walked to, to church, which was right near Harvard Square.
0: And when you think back on those college years, are there certain experiences that you had, not necessarily spiritually related, but just in general, that you look back on particularly fondly or that were really important to you in your life?
1: The one that stands out the most, as I'm thinking of it right now, well, I mean, beyond meeting Jonathan, <laughs> which is one thing I did there, But um, I studied abroad for one semester my junior year in Italy, and Italian actually ended up being my major. I, I loved it. It was, it was such a profound experience, and while I was there, I found the ward. Actually, it was a, a branch at the time, but since then has grown into a ward in Bologna, in the city where I was, and so I would walk. I think I yeah, I think I walked from my dorm on Sunday mornings over to the church building and it would, it was funny because I would walk past the soccer stadium and on days when there were games, it was pretty busy and crazy. And then I would arrive there. and it, I loved that process of kind of walking and getting into my own thoughts and just observing everything around me. And when it was usually, it was usually quiet, not many people were out in the mornings and it was getting cold because it was going from like September to December. And I loved connecting with those people there and learned just how, like how the church is running, at least in that one little pocket. But it's different than how it is in the United States to see, especially a branch where there are very few people and everyone's doing all that they can and there's no one to play the piano. And I tried a little bit <laughs> to help out, but I'm not awesome at piano. But I, I was able to like learn how to pray and gave a talk and I think I even gave a lesson once um, so it was, yeah, just a lovely experience.
0: Now, yeah, did learning the language come about as a result of doing the study abroad, or had you already been learning Italian before going there, or how did that kind of work?
1: Yeah, when I was in high school, there was some moment where I decided, I am going to learn Italian, and so I took a class with my mom at, at the school. It was like the adult school in the evenings, and, and then she and I also went to Italy Uh, for a few weeks with this program where we stayed at we were home hosted in Florence and then um, went to school in the daytime. And it's funny to look back on that because it took so long to just get through the very basic things. And and I think that's kind of how it happens with all languages. Like takes weeks and weeks as you like get your bearings of like what how is this structured? Um but since I had that tiny little base. It helped me when I started taking Italian 101 uh, when I first got to Wellesley. So I knew I wanted to take Italian. And so then I did that, and I, I started out wanting to major in biology, but I decided I liked Italian way better.
0: <laughs> and then you mentioned meeting Jonathan out there. So how did that come to be, or how did that go down?
1: Yeah, he he was on this mission when I was a freshman. So I met him at the beginning of sophomore year. So it was my sophomore year and his two. <laughs> I was dating someone still in Utah, so which kind of took the pressure off of all, of the, all the social situations, and I kind of liked that, um, because it was like, well, I can't date you, so we can just be friends first, and that was actually really good, because then we became friends and slowly went on, just like a couple dates after I broke up with that Utah boyfriend, um, but then I went and studied abroad, and then I came back, and then he was dating someone else, so the timing all worked out for us to start dating like our senior year. It was kind of one of those kind of fairy tale things in my mind, because I joked with my friends, like, oh, I'm going to go to church with these Harvard boys, and I'm going to marry one of them, and we'd just laugh about it, because I was totally not planning to get married until I was much older. And then as, as our relationship unfolded, and we thought about our priorities, um, and how we wanted our life to look, we decided that getting married would be
0: great. Was there a certain inflection point where you guys decided to go from being friends to something a little bit more serious than that, or...?
1: I think we each had our own, <laughs> and that was not at the same time, which is kind of funny and kind of sad too. <laughs> Mostly sad for him because I was pretty sad, standoffish, and he was like a super cheerful kind of person, and was like yeah, excited to do things. And so I was like, sure, we can date at first, but there were other things going on with me and my own like mental health, so I was slow to start on that. But um, over Christmas break that year, we were still dating, had been for a few months, and. He had ridden his bike out to Wellesley a few times, like, in the snow. And, and I was like, oh, he must really like me. And my friends had said, like, girl, <laughs> he's riding his bike 12 miles in the snow to see you. You might need to consider this. <laughs> and so we talked over Christmas break. And I think one of the things that helped me back is that I didn't, I, I had my plan. I wanted to go to medical school. And I was signed up for the MCAT. And, and I was going to take a year off and, and do research, like, with a doctor at a hospital. I'd already interviewed for it in Boston, he and I were talking one day and I wanted an assurance that like, if I make this choice, are you there to support me? Because I know that a lot of marriages don't make it through one person going to medical school. And, um, and he said, yes, absolutely. And that released that worry from me enough for me to actually think more clearly about what I wanted to do. And then I decided to not go to medical school. Um, if I had even gotten in, like I hadn't gotten in yet. So it was a great way for me to be able to kind of like expand my vision because I had been very determined to do this thing. I learned that it was okay to look at some different options.
0: So, what was the thing that you ended up doing that was not medical school?
1: <laughs> well, I, I graduated that summer in two thousand five, and so did Jonathan. And then he had gotten a couple of offers for jobs, and we chose the one that was in Seattle because I had some family there too. Um, and and so when we got to Seattle, I was thinking about different places to work, maybe doing research again. And so, but finding a job when you're fresh out of college can be really hard, <laughs> especially if you're not doing like interviews as you're as you're preparing to graduate. I ended up going with AmeriCorps. I worked with AmeriCorps at a, um, a nonprofit called Intergenerational Innovations. It was, uh, it was a mouthful, but it was really cool. It was about connecting people over 55 people under 18 and I love I love that idea, um, but I I soon realized that working in the particular nonprofit, this nonprofit assigns you to a, a different one, so you can like be in the community making these connections for people. Um, it was not the right place for me, and it was really hard actually to to quit. I felt like my identity was like attached to what I did in a lot of ways, and that was probably one of the first times I had to really confront that idea that like my identity is not what I'm doing. Like, it's okay for me to quit. It doesn't mean I'm a quitter. It means that I actually assessed what was going on and decided that was the best thing for me to do at that time. And so then I suddenly had no job. (laughs) And Jonathan's working long, which was great. Um, He was working at Microsoft. And someone in our ward needed a a nanny just for like two days a week. So I did that, which was great, because I love little kids. And then I, I was like, I should do something with my Italian, so I was just, like on, I think Craigslist, <laughs> saying like Italian, just as the, as the search word. And this one thing came up for Berlitz uh, Language School, which they have all over the world. And they have one actually in just a few minutes away from where our apartment was in uh, Bellevue, Washington. So they were very happy to hire me, which was super exciting to feel so wanted. <laughs> and um, I taught Italian and English for them since I'm fluent in English too. And had some really interesting experiences uh, doing that. And I had a, a series of other jobs. I was telling one of my kids this the other day, but I, I worked at Williams-Sonoma for one um, Christmas season. I was a lacrosse coach at the local high school for three years. And then I also worked for the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for a year as a scheduler, kind of like getting in the door for medical stuff again. And and I considered like transferring over to doing research, but we decided that we wanted to have kids. And so and I having grown up in a situation where my mom couldn't stay home because she had to work so I since I had the choice I wanted to choose for me to stay home with them at least while they're little yeah so then Laura was born in 2008 and then the rest of the kids came after that yeah
0: so what was that like to go to become a parent and then be at home with them what was that transition like
1: it was awesome but before she was born I knew that I had for some reason, some anxiety about just like being at home. Because I, I think, again, it goes back to like doing stuff, like my identity is attached to doing, and if all I'm doing is being at home, there, I mean, our culture doesn't really talk very highly of that, like we're doing a better job now. Mm-hmm. But in terms of valuing the work that people do when they are the home person or caring for the home, so I kind of had to work through that. As I was pregnant with her, I had, um, I was working fewer jobs, so I had more time just hanging out at home. And I, I like I was eventually just able to kind of re- release that again and um, and feel good about being at home. And then so when she arrived, she was delightful, like chill little baby, and I would just sit and stare at her face <laughs> for long periods of time. And we'd get out and and do walks, like go walking and things. But we also moved when she was three months old down um, from Washington to here to Sunnyvale, and um, have met wonderful friends and and so Seattle at the time the Seattle area time feels like a time of, of work and of figuring out how to be married. And then here it's it's been all the kid stuff.
0: And I'm curious, just as you were going through those college years and then the kind of later adult years, how do you feel like your faith and testimony have changed over that time period?
1: I'm in my heart of hearts, a rule follower. So following the rules of the church was something I was good at. And then I got to a point where I realized, like the Pharisees in the time of Christ, I was in a way like worshiping the rules and, and also kind of expecting a guarantee of a certain outcome if I followed the rules. And when that wasn't happening, it was really destabilizing. And I think, um, and that was probably like eight or 10 years ago. And, but since then, I've been able to expand my faith in these really beautiful ways that's it, helped me to see how much more expansive God is than the God of my childhood, which I, um, I've i been able to like see the love of God in much more profound ways and how God loves me and how God loves all, ch- all his children in the world. And I feel like that relationship is really precious to me.
0: I'm curious, just as you've tried to expand your view in that way, have there either been certain... Books, people, situations that have been particularly helpful in terms of maybe seeing things a little bit differently than you did in the past?
1: Oh, yes. I love reading. Mostly I read by listening now um, as I drive around all over the place and like fold laundry and do dishes. Um, And one book that pops into my head right away is Eve and Adam by Melinda Wheelwright-Brown. It's pretty dense. It reads like a PhD um, dissertation. Uh, but and I'm not quite all the way through it, but that has helped me to I don't know put into context more the story of Adam and Eve, or even Adam, as she says, which I love, and and the partnership that they shared. Uh, honestly, one of the ones that I've really liked recently is called Queer Mormon Theology, which has uh, oh just definitely expanded my mind to to the possibility of things that we don't understand, and I and I've known that. That there's there's just so much that we don't understand, but the author talks about what possibilities there could be that we just don't understand right now, and and I feel like that helps me to grow love for others and and for everyone who exists.
0: You know, now that you've become a parent yourself and you're building a family uh, and a life with Jonathan, are there certain values or certain types of insights that you've tried to share with your own? children or that you've tried to particularly emphasize to them as they've been growing up?
1: I guess one thing that comes up often for me, since I was such a rule follower and kind of a perfectionist, coming to understand that mistakes are essential to our progress has been a hard lesson that's like a long time coming. And so I try really hard to, to make that just part of the process in our home that we make mistakes and we apologize for them and that that's good and that's okay and especially the apology piece i resisted be like apologizing things for things for for a very long time and i don't know what it was that was that hang up but now it's much freer and i can say oh i'm really sorry i i shouldn't have done that or i made a mistake or that's yeah that's been transformative i feel like that's something that that is essential to every relationship um, parents and children and spouses and uh, i mean yeah friends too.
0: (laughs) Who knows what the future holds here but just as you think about having been in the work world and now being at home with your kids are you thinking that you potentially want to go back to work at some point or see how it goes?
1: Yeah I've been thinking about that a lot especially since our youngest went to kindergarten Um, although I've realized since then (laughs) that that doesn't mean that I have just like gobs and gobs of free time it just means I have six hours of unstructured time that now I have to figure out what to fill it with that's meaningful that's gonna prepare for the time when they are at home and they do need me a lot I've been listening to different podcasts and reading some books about what I might like to do Um, and one of them suggested like think about the thing that you love to do now can you turn that into something that is a job and so I thought I love talking to people. So I thought about like becoming a therapist. I thought thought about becoming a physical therapist or perhaps like a speech therapist. So I guess therapist is kind of a theme.
0: Well, Sarah, thanks so much for sitting down and and talking um, today. And it's been really fun to get to know you and your family uh, over the years. But I feel like I've just gotten a different maybe perspective on things that I previously had. So I really appreciate the things that you've shared. And hopefully anyone who's in the ward who doesn't know you as well um, can come and say hi and get to know you a little bit better. And uh, especially now that given your husband's calling in the El Camino ward, we don't see you all the time yeah. in ours, but we still love having you as part of our ward family. So thank thanks, for, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much.